Welcome to Making Waves. On today's show, we meet James Kirkpatrick, a Canadian visual artist and musician who is currently exhibiting his sound sculptures at the NASA North Media Arts Centre. His interactive sculptures blur a line between sculpture and music. Often, choices in one aspect influence the other. After the exhibit was set up and opened, Nadine Terrio Copeland and myself went on a tour with James. We tried out some of his sculptures, and he explained how they were made and why. On the following night, James Kirkpatrick gave a hip-hop performance under the moniker Thesis Sahib. In this edition of Making Waves, we intersperse segments from our tour of his sculptures with excerpts from his Thesis Sahib performance. something for a gallery space do you 
do you think uh, do you design it differently than you would for a music performance? I have things that I would actually consider musical in, musical instruments in involved, like things I use in the live music show that I take on the road with me, and then things that uh, are sort of um, advanced versions of those that are and are even too large to bring as an instrument and they are sculptural and definitely intended for a gallery space. Uh, limitations often uh, dictate what the form and the actions of a device or instrument. Um, when I first started doing um, electronic sound experimentation, I was making tools to replace a DJ because um, I couldn't find a permanent DJ to tour with me. And then uh, the things I ended up making were not as reliable or as exciting to do a live show. I mean, they can be as exciting, but they weren't as, like, um, uh, it didn't take the place in the same way. And instead it turned into a whole other side of performance, which was noise-based or intuitive sound collage. Um, and then over time, those things became bigger and bigger and more like and more difficult to pack up and take and then that's when I started thinking well these would be nice in a gallery for people to play. started first from music then, yeah. or did you already have a visual art practice uh, at the same time you started doing music? Yeah, I, um, well, I guess I'd been doing music since I was very young. Um, uh, I, you know, I played violin when I was really young. I played in a couple, like, kind of, I played in, like, little orchestras, um, and I played in uh, punk bands, and then I was, I was rapping, and I was working on beats with friends early on like hip-hop beats and stuff. and But I was always making art during all that. And then I was doing um, I was doing things on freight trains and walls around town with my friends and didn't really view it as art for a long time. And it was just almost like uh, getting together and playing a sport or something like that. And it was more of like a hangout kind of a thing, and it had a different feeling. So it took me a long time to start to believe that that or like to feel that that was like I was I was taking art classes in high school too and I felt like that was different um, than what I was doing outside but then I had actually a friend who had an art gallery he had a record store it was a hardcore record store and then he um, turned the record store into an art gallery in like in still in high school and because uh, he was dating a friend of mine who was an artist so they got this idea to turn it into an art gallery and then so that was the first time he was like I like the stuff you're doing outside 
on things. Would you want to do something like that for inside my shop? So that was the first gallery I ever really showed in. And how was the transition like between doing something for out in the street to something in an enclosed space that's uh, for the purpose of, of mm. seeing the artwork or mm-hmm. seeing what you made? Well, it was, it was fun. Um, like I started, um, I started painting in my bedroom and I just like, I'd always draw anyways, like kind of like lying down or, um, in bed or whatever. And, uh, or on the couch watching like science fiction or, you know, movies that I really liked. So it was just like an extension of that I felt. Um, and then what I was drawing a lot started informing the things I was painting outside too. Um, and, uh, so I would just have, I just had like boards, wooden boards, uh, or like things sort of beside my bed. So I would just kind of like paint and then fall asleep and then look at it in the morning and then maybe paint more. And so it felt like really good. It was a really cool thing. And, um, uh, it, it started informing the work I was doing outside on things. And I started looking at textures because uh, I was painting on sometimes wood that was found, sometimes canvases even, or canvases that people had left and I'd found. So I was painting over surfaces. So I started realizing about the tooth and the, you know, and started thinking about like covering and just, you know, and then even having my artwork outside being painted over and seeing how, like, you know, uh, people would destroy it or paint it out. And, um, that kind of conversation where I was thinking about texture and things. So that, that really started getting me to think about what I was painting on outside and um, looking at accident, like letting accidents and texture come into my work. Time and time and 
different purpose, different form. One to leave your head cool, another to leave your heart warm. Help them in the art form of going all city, but his hairstyle was shitty. Everybody in the place wearing tin man shoes. Everybody in the house just drunk out their face. Oh no, oh yeah. And me included. Tin man, well, well, tin man. Well, 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 tin man. Tin, tin man, tin, tin man. Well, 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 tin man. A mic for the taste. A fight for my brother stage in the spotlight and ego and nerd and sneakers appeared and guided him there when they gave him the guts to squeeze past the pots and stand before scores of school and he based he made an open by giving them believing the weaving bobbin heads were an appreciation of his ripley creation but part of the trouble was him seeing double aided by swollen tongue marble goggles similar in delivery humbled the hero in mere moments minutes a barley and hip-hop elixir quick fixer great taste it depends on your purchase the base of beats and booze, he's the best to lose. He'd return better to bruise, wearing the tin man shoes. Everybody in the place wearing tin man shoes. Everybody in the house just drunk out they face. Oh no, oh yeah. And me included. Everybody from London wearing tin man shoes. Everybody from Halifax is wearing tin man shoes. Oh no, oh yeah. And me included. So I wanted to get to the idea of painting on objects because the mm-hmm. artwork yeah, that you have yeah. here at NASA, a lot mm-hmm. of it is things that have been uh, visually repurposed mm-hmm. as well as uh, sonically repurposed. Right. Um, so maybe take me to that thought process of modifying toys and effects pedals and things like that to produce the sounds and also to modifying the visual design. I was into collage and taking you know, things from outside. In fact, actually, often we would paint at night and then go back in the day to get flicks, photographs of whatever. And uh, so I'd find usually objects in the daytime at a uh, freight train yard or whatever. So I was into this idea of using and also, you know, visiting thrift stores to, to, that's where I would buy my clothes or whatever. You know, like I was into just finding and thinking about consumerism and thinking about um, you know, new materials and how, and waste and stuff like that and environment and, you know, and I was strict vegan at the time and was thinking a lot about these kind of things and all that kind of fed into this stuff. And then, um, so for me, I feel like this is not much, I feel like it's just an extension in a sense that, and even the fact that like I think it's sound collage, you know, it's using a found thing to make like a sound collage and and this kind of idea. And then, um, you know, originally I was trying to house all the electronics inside the toys that I would be opening up, right? So I'd be putting in all these attachments, you know, different potentiometers or whatever, all the wires that you're doing, all the circuit bending and, you know, different switches and that. And then, so actually what would happen is it would be too hard to kind of cram it back into the toy body. So that's why I started building these other uh, structures that would sort of, that would give more room and also maybe make the piece easier to play sometimes. And then um, I would even, because I draw all the time, I draw pretty much every day. And then um, I started um, listening to the sounds. I think the sounds really affected my drawings too. And uh, so I know specifically a time period, like around, I'd say 2005, whatever, 2006, when I started kind of messing with these sounds, my drawings changed drastically. My paintings became colorful in a different way.
And, you know, mm -hmm. I didn't even notice, but people are like, what happened to your work? It's become a lot more colorful. And I mean, it, it's definitely due to like, I think some visual interests I was, I was, but it also you know, comes seeing, from but... the objects themselves though, right? Yeah. They provide certain primary colors and things like that. Kids toys, mm -hmm. you know, like, yeah, yeah you, they're brightly lit. They're made to attract, you know, young minds and, you know, they want to make it as exciting as possible. And I know definitely at the time my, uh, my work was reflecting that too. So what do we have in front of us here? Um, so yeah, we're at this table here with the black cloth on it. Um, and um, we have, I guess, six instruments. Is that right? Seven instruments here. Um, there's multiple different ones. I've, I've included a Game Boy that I've modified with, um, you know, for, for better sound and a light in the back. And um, so this is the first time I've ever included the Game Boy into the into the show um, because I just wanted to, I don't know, I just felt like it was about time for me mm -hmm. to do it. So I've got like different uh, beats I've made here composed on the Game Boy. Um, and I thought it'd be fun to sort of set up this table for people to jam with all these different instruments and then have something that can offer kind of a drum beat too. And in other sound sculptures that we can come to later, um, I've also included a beat for the first time too. Mm -hmm. And I never included a beat before in those kind of things. Whereas mm -hmm. normally, that's not the case, you know? Mm -hmm. um, for a number of reasons too, because I feel like artist-run centers allow a different kind of freedom. Mm -hmm. um, and it's nice. And you know, so that's the thing, like different constrictions allow for different things, different freedoms allow for, you know, so freedom from, um, you know, financial gain, I guess, or financial uh, pursuits allow you to do some more experimental things in the place, so. Mm -hmm. Well, let's, uh, let's give a demonstration. Yeah, for sure. So uh, maybe uh, this one that looks kind of like a guitar. Yeah, so this is about uh, 10 different buttons on it, I guess. Mm -hmm. This one is actually originally, and there's two instruments with the same guts. And I mean, this one is just a modified version of an instrument that is a kit you can buy and assemble. Um, and I've, I've named it Non-Hot Blue. So it's uh, actually the original instrument is called a nebula phone. So this, is, this was a nebula phone that I had taken and they would just sell you the, the guts of it. Mm -hmm. And so what I've done is like I, you know, I drilled some holes in it and made it actually have arcade buttons yeah. to play. And it's larger. And this one I took, I've taken on tour. Both of these I've taken on tours with me to play with different bands, uh, different projects and the Thesis of Heap thing. Um, and... You know, so I've done plenty of live shows with these, but now I've retired them and I'm interested in a new group of instruments that I'm working with right now for my live shows. So this is kind of like what happens in a lot of my exhibitions is I tour with a piece mm -hmm. and then eventually I kind of retire it and I'm like, okay, I'm ready for people to play this. And you know, maybe there's some glitches with it that it doesn't play necessarily as good as before. So this is just a modified version, but um, here's some time. So it can play in a scale. Um, and there's these different uh, voices for it. Yeah, and then, see, that's the problem every once in a while. It's, these are moody, you know what I mean? There's a moody now. And it's, part, it's basically well, it's due to my mods. You know, look, uh, instruments are often like, have these states of non-agreement. Uh, non totally, yeah. <laughs> and that's why I'm, I'm okay with having these, like I, I've had a lot of experience with like noise jams and um, different things like that. And uh, 
there's times when you don't even know what you're doing, you know, and but something's right, you know, and it's just working. Just keep doing it. Yeah. <laughs> and I know from talking to other noise people, like, um, at different times in my life, I've been closer with different noise people and worked with different, you know, different people, and they say the same thing, like, I couldn't even hear what I was doing, but man, it felt so good, and I just kept going, you know? And um, that, there's a point when I... I like that for this kind of stuff, you know, and, and for these kind of things and with different noise jams. It's nice to kind of have a lead in and then let it let it go and just trust the moment. And I think that those ideas of like freeform jamming um, was really presented as an idea to me when I was young was through underground hip hop and there being such a focus on freestyle rapping and beatboxing and people just making sounds. So that was like kind of an early introduction. Mm -hmm. And I remember actually when I was young in the early nineties, people, I remember meeting friends from Halifax that were like, Oh, you know, like if you're into freestyling and you're into making stuff up, you got to check out Nihilist Spasm Band who's from your hometown. And I was like, Oh yeah, I heard about them, but I didn't know much with that. So, um, yeah. So this is the other non hop, uh, the other, um, Nebula phone that I've, you know, similar to non-hop blue. This one, this one resembles more of a uh, an effects pedal in its appearance, yeah. except that there's uh, a bunch of buttons on the top, and then there's three knobs that you're using to modify the sound. So it's kind of like an effects pedal with its own triggers. Yeah. Well, I actually started. Um, some of the earlier things I really got into circuit bending was effects pedals, actually. And I liked the idea, similar to, like, how DJs took, you know, a turntable that was meant for playing someone else's pre-recorded music and turned it into an instrument. And then the idea of, like, taking a thing that is not an instrument but is to enhance an instrument and turning it into the main instrument. Mm -hmm. So another, like, so I was doing all this work with all these guitar pedals, and this one's a guitar pedal over here. So this one looks kind of like, I don't know, maybe like a weird sock I or something like that. Sock. Yeah, yeah. It looks like a sock. And exposed are the, um, the effects pedal uh, buttons here still. But I've done a bunch of circuit bending. I think this was a, uh, like a delay pedal or an echo pedal. Oh, no, it was a chorus pedal. That's mm -hmm. right. And then so I've... I've taken, I found some circuit bend points on the, um, on the, uh, on the circuit board in there, and then I've wired them out. Made my favorite three points that had the most effect, and I put them on little buttons here that are on the, okay. on the sculpture itself. So, so now in this one, when you trigger these, these sounds like I am, mm -hmm. is this in a sense a kind of like a feedback loop within the pedal? Yeah, that's what it is. Okay. Yeah, and I didn't so know that at the time, but people told me later that's what it is. Is a feedback loop. I'm like, okay, cool, cool. Okay. I just was so circumventing. There's nothing external sending signal. It's just uh, it's all internal, internal, and that's what I liked was something that is intended, you know, like to be what people feed information through or sound through now becomes the sound device. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, as you were saying over there, like th this, the other uh, the the piece earlier we were talking about uh, that looks like a guitar pedal. It is actually the body from that is taken from uh, DIY. The guitar pedal company so I wanted to make something that was rigid and hard that I could bring on tour with me and okay. fit inside my bag and not worry about it being bashed around mm -hmm. so that that is part of like a lot of the creation I think about so actually you know, in a sense the ruggedness that touring requires translates to uh, people using it 
un- unsupervised in a gallery. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it really that's works. The same that that ruggedness is implied. Whereas a lot of electronic artists don't necessarily build that ruggedness into it. But I think perhaps because of your music practice, that thought thinking was already I think, there. Yeah, you're exactly right. And and even I, I use these arcade buttons, right? Like so, I buy brand new arcade buttons. And they were meant for hitting hard and kids just abusing it you know like putting in their quarter and you know the person who's working the place isn't paying attention and the kids are just wailing on the on the arcade so yeah it works both ways so it's got this Mm -hmm. feel of like you know what it's like with arcade games and then also some like actual real function it Mm -hmm. when you buy them it says like the amount of pushes it can take (laughs) you know guaranteed for this many pushes and it's like an insane number i don't even know what it is but yeah, because stuff conking out in an art gallery is not a good thing. No, no you know, and no. I hate to leave people hanging yeah. with a bunch <laughs> of broken instruments. Uh, yeah, like I'm, I'm doing a couple. I'm doing like a soundtrack for a video game too, very soon. Like a, it's like a side-scrolling, um, you know, a pixel game, uh, with my friend Jesse Jacobs. He's doing all the art direction, mm-hmm. and I'm doing the sound direction of it. So. Um, like I'm excited, you know, I've got some cool game projects coming up that I feel are very much, uh, art pieces and Jesse's been around I mean, you know, Jesse and I have like been around the same group of people who, uh, all collaborate together at different times. And I feel like this is a really good time for us to be collaborating, you know, cause we're good friends and we like the same music and art and stuff. So it's, it's going to be a good, anyways, that's a whole other side. Yeah. What, okay. what does this do? It's a sculpture. It's this yellow one. It looks kind of like a maybe eyes or wheels behind this window. It, it looks like there. a baby monitor. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it does. So if you want to press any of the buttons. And then if you pick it up, you can see behind there's Oops. a dial. There. Oh, okay. And so if you press the button and turn the dial, give it another shot. There. Uh-oh, I dropped it. No, oh, that's well, maybe the battery came. shut loose. So yeah, oh yeah, it did. Easy fix. So yeah, this is one of the fun things about it is having to fix the piece right away, and we'll work on that later. But um, yeah, so so the di- the dial was twisted down, and this is a very s- simple circuit bend, but I find it really effective. So you can turn this. So I push I push the button, and then I'm turning a dial on the back. So it's changing pitch and speed together. Yeah. So I. I'm gonna like I admit that I'm not the most advanced circuit bender. Um, some people can't wrap their head around even you know simple circuit bending, and that's that's cool too. But like for me, I just I like to keep it relatively simple for people to play, um, relatively simple for me on stage. Um, I'm dealing with enough complex stuff in my live show because I'm composing you know, or playing compositions live, triggering sounds off Game Boy using Ableton and my different. MIDI sculptures.
yeah, uh, Nadine found the um, a trigger for this one. So yeah, what Nadine's doing right now is putting like, just putting a sculpture on top of another flatter sculpture, and it's creating and it's, a noise. Just and basically, you know. it's the changing magnetic field that triggers yeah. the sound. Right. What what my um, thought was to put some some examples of songs that I have used on albums or uh, for live shows, and I, I pitched them down a little bit. And uh, for the Game Boy here, I just wanted to play some. Mm-hmm. So, so actually, I'm gonna start. Let's start with this one. So these are creations for the Game Boy architecture. Yeah. Uh, or programming environment. It's yeah. Not, these aren't. Uh, uh, games that you right that there are soundtracks that you actually created yeah yeah I'm not sampling any of the games or anything it's just like my own composition using the limited um, the limited sound ability of a Game Boy mm-hmm. um, but to me it creates a real cool fun sound that the, the rep, it's it, re, it sounds very similar to some of the game that you would hear from back in that time period because it's using the same limited language to, you know. So, so yeah, this is like a, a drum and sort of bassier line. Um, and you can play stuff over top. This is me, yeah, and Nadine's playing some sounds there too in the background. Yeah. So we're playing Game Boy, and two of the circuit band instruments are playing sound. The different instruments have, or have the same. They're kind of from the same family. Mm. You're all. You'll always be. You'll always fit in. It's just a matter of leaving space for. Right. For your your uh, friends. Yeah. Yeah, and that's the cool thing is once you vibe, you know, like that's the whole thing about vibing with different people on different jams. I find is like um, sometimes you'll get some guys just cranking it up all the way, and he's the dude, you know. And it's like <laughs> that's fine if that's some kind of organized band, but it's nice when you can you know really get into the subconscious vibe with people where you're allowing this room and you're not trying to 
you know, be the... Well, in a sense, you're both, you're all one of a bigger totality. Totally. Yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. I think it is like really... a field of crickets or something. Or very much so. Frogs I, or... I feel that way. Mm -hmm. And I feel like when, when people are letting it be that, it's nice, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. Yes. Why? So that's a good point. Do you want to describe <laughs> what I just did there? Then that's yeah, a... there's this flat box with this yellow kind of hexagon shape over top of it. That's like a little uh, cookie box or whatever. Tin. With other circuit bent instruments, right? On a different table. On a different table. Yeah. So and it's but there's no. It doesn't look like anything else there. But when you put this little man toy, which is like a little. I don't know what you call that. It's like those weeble wobble. Things. Weeble wobble thing or something. You put it on top, then it creates these these interesting sounds that are mm -hmm. very uh, um, stark contrast to everything else. Mm -hmm. they're, they're like jab. Kind they're of. like laser shots. Yeah. Like they're higher pitch. Yeah. So, anyways, taking it from there, bringing it over to this interesting to a different area right? yeah. that looks like sort of like a. a Paper mache man of some kind. I'm mm -hmm. not really sure. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I don't know where the. This is. I'm finish. looking at the back. <laughs> obviously, and this is the. I think this is the front. Or do I do I have that right? <laughs> or is there a front and back? Well, yeah. For <clears> me, <throat> uh, with this piece, I wouldn't say that there's a front or back necessarily. It's, it's almost both. Are, both both are in profile. What I'll often do with my paintings is there's more of like a column of different things, and like the head can also be, like the head for one thing can be the stomach and body for the next, and you know it could be the hat for the next guy, but it's also like the shoes of, you know, it's sort of like these continuations of 
um, their channels. <laughs> yeah, they're like channels where like the person evolves through. And I want people to be investigating, like, is this the front? Is this the, you know, is this the back or whatever? So, but I mean, this, this piece has been through a lot of changes because um, what this, the body of this originally was, was um, a sleep machine here. Um, and I'd circuit bent it and then just built one part of it with, um, you know, paper mache and actually um, my friend Dave Hayden had sent me um, a bunch of uh, cast plaster of Paris with the thing. Mm -hmm. So I'd made this out of plaster of Paris with the cast uh, and paper mache. Um, and it was like the circuit band thing. It went into a few different exhibitions, some fun things. And then I got really obsessed with the whole sleep machine thing. And actually there's an instrument on the previous table that has a sleep machine in it too. So that's when I learned, that's when I, that one's a little bit more advanced because I've learned how to circuit bend quite a bit better since then. And then this one, I didn't know what the heck I was doing. So I had a capacitor where I should have had a resistor and um, which is just stupid to do and whatever. So it lasted a while and it was great but it broke over time. So it's been sitting around my house kind of gathering dust. And then when um, I received the invite for the show, some of the pieces we talked about were, are, they're previously being sold to an institution, so I couldn't bring them. So, um, and, I'm, and now my interest went from circuit bending to Arduino-based stuff, and then from Arduino-based stuff, kind of more into like MIDI controllers. Um, but you were asking for something similar to one of these Arduino pieces, and I haven't really visited Arduinos again since 2014, and I wasn't even that good of a programmer before of it. So um, I thought about cutting this open and putting in an Arduino controller that activates with this device here that I'm holding in my hand that to me looks kind of like an apple, but also... There's this toy that I just, after I finished painting this, I realized how much the toy company had influenced my painting. And it was this company <laughs> called like Madball or something like that. And it was these squishy mad faces that you would get. Oh, okay. And this totally looks like kind of like painted. And I'm just like, wow, Madball painting actually really influenced a lot of the <laughs> painting on the sculptures. And I just realized that last night at about three in the morning while painting this. So yeah, it kind of looks like this kind of apple weird thing with stripes and so I call these things activators or triggers it's basically a magnet it's basically a magnet mm -hmm. that's all it is um, so but placed in a way that's uh, work that it works well it becomes and a it, proximity sensor that you can control yeah uh, directly rather than by having to pass through a beam or something that's very totally difficult to understand yeah well also yeah. I often position and it works a little bit in this other sculpture I have mounted on the wall but like I position reverse polarity magnets so you don't put it down in a place that it's not supposed to go to okay so it pushes the thing to the sides um and so I'm trying to like um continue this idea of I'm interested in people investigating the piece, spending time with it, trying something, you know, coming back a week later and then someone else figuring out something else or in a gallery or this kind of thing. And just, you know, I know sometimes people don't even care. They're looking at a show for 10 seconds and they don't care and that's fine. But they're, I know people who have investigated my work a lot more and they get enjoyment out of these different things. And I want my work to be like 
the more time you spend with it, the more secrets you find, like the same way um, a lot of video games I used to play when I was a kid, you would find alternative worlds or different ways to beat the game or other power power-ups and also just, you know, it just, I'm, I'm into this idea of like secret things and secret extras and putting in time and developing like a knowledge on how to use a tool differently. So um, when I push this, when I put this one sculpture just laid on top or near, it's not even actually touching the surface, it starts this beat here. And, uh, or it starts this rhythm, so. And then if I pick it up and put it back down, and then before the loops ends, I'm gonna see that all this stuff is by chance. You know, there's like so many different elements that I could mess stuff up, but um, it stops again, and then it starts again the other loop. If I take it off there, I'm just gonna show you the quick and easy is that there's a spot right here, down here, where there's another switch. And when I put the magnet near, it gets going and it starts working. So um, what happened was that I just pulled it away from the top of the sculpture to another location. So if people are kind of messing around, and I've seen people do this before, they're talking and they're, you know, whatever, and they happen to, the other, um, you know, push the activator near something. The other thing is I wanted to kind of uh, have it so that when you place the object on top of the sculpture, you know, there's an LED here that's shining through this tiny hole. So if you spend time with it, you can, oh wow, okay, there's an LED and it's shining all the time. And this is the obvious place to kind of put the sculpture because there's almost like a landing pad here on top. But then there's another LED over here that stays, it's not lit. So I kind of want people to look at it and I, I have had someone actually investigated it like this so it's tested and they're like well how does that work what's you know and they're moving this around and then they find that when they hit the other spot the led goes on there so the the unlit led is kind of a clue that there's another spot for people to trigger so now when you're going over to this side when this uh, activator. activator works yeah. on this sculpture but it also works on the uh the box like sculpture you have on the table that looks a little more plain mm -hmm. and does it also work on other sculptures yeah. in the room? Yeah, it does. And yeah. do you have other sculpture or other activators that will then work on yeah. these? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so so you're expecting people to kind of be curious and try walking around with things mm -hmm. and seeing what happens? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's the whole you know, and I don't mind if like a, someone who knows, like a gallery director or another visitor to the gallery goes, actually it only it works on just these three or whatever. Cause even yeah. that there's lots to investigate, yeah. you know? Um, Cause that's the thing is like, I always, um, I'm, I'm into the idea of people passing down ideas because like I know when like from schoolyard kind of things or, you know, uh, whatever, you know, people would pass down secrets about, hey, I found the Minus Worlds in Mario Brothers. How do you do it? Well, it's this. And you're like, really? And you go home and try it and it doesn't work and you come back the next day. Are you sure? Yeah, I'm sure. So you keep trying it. So that's an idea of like, I know I've spoken about so it before, crack, but it, it cracked the, the piece, cracked the code. And do you believe the guy who's telling you? And then even I, I remember kids who would like lie about stuff in video games. Like, I know I did it. You know, if you leave three seconds on the timer and you jump and you know, you get through the hoop, then like this other like prize falls and you go through another universe and like just making up stories. So <laughs> I kind of like, you know, is it true? Is it real? Or like what happens? And also like the randomness in these pieces. Cause there is, um, 
a little bit of a randomness in there and accident and like the fact that you might not like even myself who made the piece like i i triggered stuff incorrectly there mm-hmm. you know um so What's like incorrect? well i guess i guess <laughs> unexpected that's right that's right there is no incorrect it's unexpected from what i thought the well, results were going to be this is the one where you have a i know from how you showed it to me that you have a specific preferred way that right. that's triggered by listening for the the sequence and, mm-hmm. and even depending on when you remove it it you know responds differently yeah yeah and even i like with my expected things i'm not able to do you know and i invented it i'm like oh, i totally made a mistake there you know so it's <laughs> kind of fun to have that you know um so yeah and well, i think it's different for this is different for the user in that you're enabling a composition mm-hmm. and you're you're choosing either voluntarily or involuntarily to stop the piece right or to change its direction mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah and uh, well, one of the things too that that kind of forces you a little bit is the fact that once the sounds are triggered in this piece it plays its sequence until the end mm-hmm. uh, that i've chosen uh, which is different i've never had that before um, normally like we'll go over this other sculpture mm-hmm. that's on the wall um, and we can use the same activator and it is more um, the player has more control over starting and stopping the sound mm-hmm. whereas the other one has to finish its cycle so I wanted to make it a little bit different with the other one uh, so this one's like as you put the activator near it can loop the sound but as soon as you take it off it stops
over there though oh yeah i guess we could talk about those yeah let's uh, talk about the okay you're called the brains oh, yeah so the brain series so <clears throat> yeah so there's these kind of joystick looking things with a weird weird bit on top that if you touch it makes sounds and then behind it is this uh more of a rectangular shaped thing that's the amplifier so the front one with the joysticks the, the instrument and the one behind it is the uh is the amplifier and uh, these were originally made as instruments to play live on stage. Uh, this one right here, actually, the back of it is a guitar pedal. It was like uh, fiberglass onto the body of this toy here called Brainy Baby. So I took the Brainy Babies. Originally, I worked with the guts of them, didn't like the circuit bent sounds, put in the guitar uh, pedal, and then every direction you turn... Do these every, uh, So this one turns on when you push that. And then the back dials. So um, back dials make it change the, the octave. Side do the side ones do do stuff. Yeah. You have to press the red one. You have to hold down. So this one was like my one I brought on on tour with me. So I would want it so that just, I, to, to quickly turn it off and on. So I would just hold down the front button. Whereas the other one has a switch that makes it stay on. That one was created actually for a gallery show originally. So it's intended to stay on, you know, and let people know how to play it, you know? Well, drama, put the drum back in you. Oh, people say the most shocking things in songs these days. We've kissed to keep some words. We've kissed to occupy our mouths. This geniusness is so generous to us. Whoa, your drama, put the drum back in me. It's taken lips to part. Well, where were you too busy me and occupy? Oh, I know why. So sly, so doubled up. In dum dum tongue, you're pinballing this uh-oh thinking, linking an inkling into inking drama. Put again to purpose, a tool to fuel from fear right here. There's no disguise. Put a bit of fence in, put a bit of mention, build up an engine, trap that attention, free but offense in me, but a henchman, leave it a pension, be for belief and event for friendship and for friendship. What a better way, my love for love, what a better way to save the day. Put a bit of a good ending and ending, put a bit of fence in, put a bit of mention, build up an engine, trap that attention, free but offense in me, but a henchman, leave it a pension, be for belief, fend for friendship and for friendship. What a better way, my love for love. You've been listening to performances by James Kirkpatrick, intermixed with interviews about his sound sculptures. 
James hails from London, Ontario, which is equidistant between Toronto and Detroit. This last piece from his performance, as Thesis Sahib, profiles his hometown. London, L- 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 London, Ontario is a middling manufacturing town halfway between Toronto and Detroit, once known for its cigars and breweries. In a tribute to its famous namesake, London has its own Covent Garden, Piccadilly Street, and even the Thames River that forks around the modest, economically stressed downtown. The city, which sits in a humid basin, is remarked upon for its unpleasant weather. Summers are unusually hot, winters brutally cold, springs and falls fine but fleeting. London London was a difficult place for an artist looking to find himself. London was a difficult place for an artist looking to find himself.
London was a difficult place for an artist looking to find this. Listen, Professor, well, I'm going to London, Ontario. <laughs> I heard a lot in Ontario. Ah, uh, where is the stupidest thing I ever heard? Hey, you tell him about Ontario? Yeah, about Ontario. Oh, you wait a second, Ontario's a province in Canada. Who the hell am I in London, Ontario? <laughs> This is Making Waves. Making Waves is a show about sound art produced for WGXC Wave Farm by New Adventures in Sound Art. <laughs> 